0: The book of Revelation is more relevant and important now than at any other time. And I mean that because of where we are in the last day's signs. That doesn't mean it might not become more important in years to come, that we might get closer and closer and more things be revealed. But in the days that we are living where there is such craziness, which very well could be a birth pain, and we'll talk about that here in a moment, it is important for us to understand the things that are demonstrated here in the book of Revelation. We are in a fast-paced, changing world, looking more and more like biblical end times. Things have radically changed since 2020, early in 2020, and they seem to be continuing to change. Now, one-fourth of the Bible is prophecy, including the book of Revelation. One-fourth of the Bible is prophecy. There are plenty of people who will not study prophecy because they see it as cryptic. I, I told you beforehand that it is mysterious. There's a mystery to it, and there is a mystery. And not all of the mystery of the book of Revelation is going to be taken completely away. There will still be some there once we get finished. However, future scriptural prophecies can cause some people to have anxiety. I'm going to trust that it's not you guys. Because you guys are here on a Wednesday night when you heard we're going through the book of Revelation. You were like, I'm going to be there. I want to be there. But there are people who can. When you go through the book and you see the horrible things that happened during the tribulation period that really happened to people, it can cause certain people anxiety. But consider with me for a moment why God has revealed prophecy to us. Why has God told us the future? There are people that endeavor to tell the future every year. At the beginning of the year, you can look up the the prophecies that were given by psychics for the past year and for the future year. They have a very bad batting average, by the way. They, They would not be playing in the Major League Baseball for their batting average. The Bible, however, has a really good batting average when it comes to the prophecies of the future. And if something doesn't come true, then we put all of our weight on the Bible being accurate. And if something doesn't come true, that causes us, so, that would cause us some concern. So what is the reason that God gives us prophecy? It's not to make you anxious. It's not so that you can wring your hands about what's coming in the future. It is to, first of all, help comfort you. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians four seventeen and 18. It says, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Here, Paul is clarifying prophecy. They had a misunderstanding about prophecy. Paul is clarifying it to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 so they will have comfort. This is what God wants to do. He tells us about the future. He tells us how things are going to end. In the big picture, we could say the book of Revelation shows us that Jesus wins. And that should bring us comfort. That we know with all the things that are going on, the way that the world is going, the good and the evil that we see, the battle that goes on, both Revelation and Daniel tell us that the wicked are going to become more wicked and the righteous are going to become more righteous. And that is happening in the days that we are living. And if you wonder who's going to win, well, God's going to win. Jesus is going to win in the end. Now, 1 Corinthians fourteen three, talking about the gift of prophecy, tells us that the reason that God has given this gift is for three reasons. Edification, exhortation, and comfort, which we already saw that prophecy can bring you comfort. So here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. So when you tell them something that God has told you, when you tell someone something, you have the gift of prophecy and you speak about the future, you are bringing, first of all, edification. That's the goal of prophecy. It's never to show off. It's never to lift up a person. It's always to lift up Christ. And one of the ways that you know that prophecy is is being spoken is that there is edification that takes place. And then there's exhortation. That's encouragement. So God gives us prophecies to encourage us, not just to edify us, but to encourage us as well. And then finally, again, comfort. Now, why would I say that the book of Revelation is more important right now than ever before? Because of the unique times that we are living in. I'm not saying that there hasn't been unique times in history. There were unique times around World War II where a lot of people thought that Hitler was the Antichrist, And they were expecting Jesus to come back. A lot of people set dates in the 1940s for the return of Christ. And Jesus never came back or or did. Yeah, he hasn't come back yet. He didn't come back during that time. And that led to disappointment within people. There was the great disappointment in 1844 where William Miller said that Jesus is coming back by 1844. And Jesus didn't come back. And so I'm not saying that what we're seeing today is the culmination of the last days and that Jesus is going to come back within the next 10 years. And if I said that, I've shared with you before, you guys should get up and leave because I preach against that so much. We should never set dates or give people an expectation for a time. Because for all we know, things could calm down and there could be another birth pain in a while. Jesus spoke of wars and famines and pestilence and earthquakes and severe earthquakes in various places as signs that are part of birth pains. And birth pains are gonna increase more and birth pains are going to have times where the birth pain isn't around. And I think that we could say that there was a birth pain in the 30s during World War II. Maybe you could even go all the way back to a birth pain in the, the teens of 19 teens, World War I, maybe the, the last great epidemic which was in, in, in ni- uh, 1917, the Spanish Influenza, that these were all birth pains. I think you could go to the time of the Vietnam War, at least for here in the United States, as being a kind of birth pain. I think you could go to the early 70s for sure, which had a whole lot more things happen, like we disconnected from the gold standard. There were a lot of things that happened in the early 70s that made it look like Jesus was coming back. And right then there was revival in the world as well. Remember, the Jesus movement was full on. That's what Calvary Chapel came out of was the Jesus movement of the late 60s and the early 70s. So let's just consider some of the birth pains that are around in our day. First of all, anxiety, depression, and panic attacks are at an all-time high. Never has, have it, been, has it been as high as it is right now. The, and no wonder the government has come out with two reports saying that UFOs are true. Not one report but two reports showing videos of both fighter pilots, other planes that are tracking objects in the sky that are moving in ways that objects cannot move, certainly with a person inside of them. If something is moving forward at hundreds of miles an hour and turns completely right at 100 miles an hour, it would smash the person, or hundreds of miles an hour, it would smash the person inside. The G-forces would crush them. That doesn't mean they're not drones doesn't mean that they might not be something that our own government is working on. All that has happened is, is the government has come out with two reports that said UFOs, unidentified flying objects, are real. And we have them documented. Now, this has caused all kinds of speculation. What would it mean for us if one of them lands and a little green man walks out? <laughs> what would it mean for us as Christians if that were the case? Well, well it hasn't happened yet. And I think it's very possible that these are Demonic, demonic demons in the Bible could manifest themselves and I think it's possible we may be looking at something that's manifesting itself in a spiritual way and that's why it's not bound to the real world and you have them appearing and disappearing in these videos. It is interesting. Also, we just went through the worst epidemic in a hundred years. That was mishandled. The CDC has come out now and said they did not handle the epidemic properly. Not only that, the John Hopkins Hopkins report that came out several months ago said that many people died unnecessarily because of the way governments around the world handled the epidemic, not just the United States. Like the worst thing you could do was lock everybody together. You've got a flu-like epidemic that you get by hanging out with people. Remember when it first came out, it was like, don't touch your face. That's, That's called a fomite transmission. You touch something or you shake someone's hand and then you touch your eye and you transfer the, the virus that way. Do you know that the CDC came out and said there are no, case, no known cases of fomite transmission? So all of that, be careful not to touch your face, wash your hands, leave your boxes outside, right? But now you've got a disease that's caught by getting within six feet of someone, staying there for about 15 minutes, having a viral load that is enough that you can actually catch the coronavirus, Now you force healthy and unhealthy into the same house. You put them together and that caused many vulnerable people who could have isolated by themselves to become sick. You had people dying in hospitals, not because of the epidemic, but because they didn't have the medical care they needed because they were shutting down hospitals you had people dying alone. This may have happened to some of you guys. Some of your loved ones may have died alone in a hospital. My wife had surgery alone in the hospital because they were not allowing anyone to go in we were just glad that she was able to get the surgery because there was a possibility that it wouldn't happen so we've gone through this worst epidemic and it was greatly mishandled Uh, russia is at war with the ukraine we are in a drought in the southwest at least i i I tried to see whether the drought was more than just the southwest the colorado river is drying up mead is almost at deadpool the lake mead is almost at deadpool lake powell is at i don't know a 30-year low the, it it threatens the water in Arizona for sure. They are talking about worldwide shortages in food. Economics around the world are on the brink of failure. There's a three with 300 trillion dollars of debt worldwide. That's the amount of debt around the world. The United States is at about no oh, has about 10 percent of that, about 30 trillion. But worldwide, there's 300 trillion dollars worth of debt. When when W, when President Bush, W was in office, it was under $5 trillion. And today it's over $31 trillion worth of debt. Israel is at the brink of war. Iran is in Syria, and Syria has a border, and Iran wants to destroy Syria and is about to get nuclear weapons. We are getting reports of genetic altering among humans. And this is really interesting, Because it's, like anything else, it's being presented as something good. So there are people who are more resistant to viruses than other people. So they want to genetically alter everybody so that in the future we are more resistant towards viruses. That's a good thing. You've people that are genetically more disposed to have good strong hearts and people who are genetically more disposed to have weak hearts. So they want to come in and alter people genetically to be able to make them have stronger hearts, to be able to live longer. And the promise is you're going to be able to live longer. You're going to be able to have a higher IQ. Genetically change somebody from a 70 IQ to 140 IQ. And if we're thinking about that for our kids, we're like, do you want your kid to have a 70 IQ or 140 IQ? Quick joke. There's uh, three guys up in heaven uh, and they're getting ready to go into heaven. And uh, uh, St. Peter says to the first one, what's your IQ? And he says, um, 140. And he says, did you get your Ph.D.? He says, yes, I did. He says, enter in the joy of the Lord. He says, the second one, uh, what's your IQ? He says, 110. goes, did, did you get your bachelor's? I did. Enter in the joy of the Lord. He says, the third one, what's your IQ? He says, 70. Peter says, did you get your deer? <laughs> oh, little hunting joke. I've done my share of hunting, all right? I can tell that joke because I've done my share of hunting. I got, a, I got an elk head hanging up in my house that I shot with a bow, all right? So it's just a joke. But genetic, genetically altering, can you imagine then if that's what they're, they're trying to sell it to us, the public? We, we are now doing research and we are genetically altering things. It's for your health, it's for your future, it's to make you live longer. Can you imagine what they're doing behind the scenes that we don't know about? Can you imagine what they're trying to do as far as a super soldier that we are not being told about? that could give them strengths and abilities to genetically change them. All of this makes us wonder if time can continue to go on. If we might not be studying the book of Revelation at just the right time. I'm not setting a date, I'm not saying by a time, I'm not saying it's gonna happen during my lifetime. I'm simply saying Jesus said to know the times you're living in and we should know it. We're in the middle at the very least of a really strong contraction right now. Now, the book of Revelation, if you look at verse one, it says, the revelation of jesus christ let me read the whole verse the revelation of jesus christ which god gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place and he sent and signified it by his angel john all right so there's a lot there it starts by saying the revelation of jesus christ it isn't the revelations so now from this point forward don't ever say the book of revelations Take the S off of it. It's not multiple revelations about the end of the world. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the word revelation is, we get our English word uh, apocalyptic from the Greek word, but it means simply unveiling. This book unveils who Jesus is. Jesus, as God, is introduced mysteriously in genesis chapter 1 let us make man in our own image genesis 125 and then it says so he made man in his own image who's the us who's going to make man in his image and why does it turn to a singular that he made man in his image and then when we get to the new testament and we learn in john chapter 1 in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god all things were made by him for him and through him and without him there is nothing that was made that wasn't made and then he became flesh and dwelt among us so the one that created the world that created everything who was the the part of the godhead that was mysterious in genesis chapter 1 let us make man in our own image has now been revealed to us to be jesus who came and gave his life for our sins on the cross and the book of revelation Is going to complete everything in Genesis you have man falling into sin and not being able to eat of the tree of life in the book of Revelation you have the tree of life offered to the nations in the book of Genesis you have the fall of mankind out of a garden in Revelation you've got the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, a city whose foundations are built by God. And where God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, we will be able to walk with God once again in this new city of Jerusalem. If Genesis, if you look at the Bible like a building, like all of these 66 books are buildings, is a, it make up a building. Genesis is the cornerstone by which everything else is built on. And Revelation is the capstone it's not complete without it and that's why when people say well i don't want to study the book of revelation it's too strange i don't like to study prophecy i'm not going to study it that's a problem because satan's end is revealed in the book of revelation he has his first temptation in genesis and he is thrown into the lake of fire in the book of revelation and we could go on and on and talk about all of the things that are wrapped up in the book of Revelation. This is a, a one book that is wrapped up by the book itself. And in the, the final book of the Bible, Jesus has 36 names. They've been counted, 36 different names for Christ. In chapter one, there are seven names. Now, when it comes to the book of Revelation, you've got to know that seven is a really important number seven seals seven trumpets seven bowls seven spirits before the throne of god and in the first chapter seven names for for jesus he's called jesus christ in 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 revelation 1 1 the faithful witness in revelation 1 5 the first begotten of the dead in revelation 1 5 the prince of the kings of the earth in revelation 1 5 alpha and omega in revelation 1 8 first and last in revelation 1 8 11 and 13 and the Son of Man in Revelation 1, 13. And then there's 36 total in the book of Revelation. It is an unveiling of Jesus. We will learn more about him. He was mysterious in the beginning of the Bible and becomes extremely clear at the end of the Bible. You say, well, a lot of it looks awfully hazy, but not around Jesus. This is not the unveiling of the tribulation. This is not the revelation of the tribulation period. We still will have questions about the tribulation period when we're done. This is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is going to become clearer and clearer who Jesus is. And so it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. And of course, the word Christ is is the Greek word for the Hebrew Messiah. So we are having a continual revelation of not only Jesus... But also who the Messiah is, who was promised throughout the Old Testament, who came and gave his life for us. And then it says, still in verse 1, which God gave him to show his servants. So God gave John, or or, yeah, God did the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. And the hymn is capitalized in the New King James. And some suggest this is John, some suggest it's Jesus to show his servants. So, capitalization would seem to be correct, right? God gave him to show his servants. So, who is the book of Revelation written to? It's written to his servants. Is it written to you? Are you a servant of Christ? In John one twenty six, Jesus said, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. If you are a servant of Jesus, you'll be honored by him and the book of Revelation is written to you. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of a steward that he would be found faithful. A steward oversaw households for people. And it was required, if you were going to oversee people's household, that you'd be faithful. If you are not a faithful steward and you're getting hired and they called your former employee, you wouldn't get hired. So we need to be faithful with what's entrusted to us, but we are considered servants of Christ. So the book of Revelation is not for the world. It's not for Christians that don't want to live for Jesus. It's for people who are serious, so serious in living for Christ, that you are servant of of the living god and then it says these things must shortly take place now right off the bat we have some confusion because john wrote this on the island of patmos about 95 a.d in the first century and so it's almost been in 2095 it'll be 2000 years and it says shortly take place and immediately we go Well, it's been a long time. It hasn't been a short time. So right off the bat, we get some confusion. However, a couple of things, a couple of thoughts. Um, First of all, some of this, uh, yeah, first of all, this word, I was trying to find my notes here for the word. Uh, First of all, this word in the Greek is takos, T-A-C-H-O-S. And from the Greek and English lexicon of the New Testament, which I've started to use rather than Strong's, it's a much better lexicon. I don't speak Greek. I don't pretend to. So I do a lot of research into the Greek words in order to find clarity on certain things. And so this word from the Greek and English lexicon of the New Testament and other early literature, it says, University of Chicago Press 2000, if you want to look it up. And I I won't give you that every time I give a Greek word. I just want to let you know what I'm looking up when I do it. You can look it up yourself. Uh, Means... Tacos means a very brief period of time with focus on speed and activity of events. Speed, quickness, swiftness, haste. So you think tacos, we get tachometer from it. For those of you who are into cars, a tach shows the RPMs that a car revs up to. It doesn't show the speed, but it shows how fast it, it, it revs up, how fast the motor is revving up, which is much faster than the car goes, by the way. And so the idea is when these things happen, they are going to happen quickly. It's the same thing, I believe, Jesus meant in Luke 21 when he said, take a lesson from the fig tree and all of the trees. When you see the leaves begin to bud, know that summer is near. I don't think he was giving us a cryptic statement about Israel being the fig tree. And once there's the nation of Israel, you're going to have a generation that isn't going to pass away because Israel is a nation. I think that's a mistake. Like the people that prophesied, like William Miller, that prophesied 1844, the the end of the world would happen. I think it's a mistake like the people that prophesied at the end of World War II, certain dates in the 40s, that it was going to happen by that date. I think it's a mistake. I think we shouldn't approach the Bible that way. I think we ought to be really, really careful about setting dates because the Bible says you don't know when it's going to happen. And all you're going to do is breed more disappointment out of a cryptic statement. It doesn't say when Israel becomes a nation, that generation will not not pass away. It says when the fig tree starts to shoot out its branches, then that generation will not pass away. I think it's talking about the speed of the events. Once these things start happening in the tribulation period, that generation will not pass away. That's the idea. It's going to happen quickly. However, that's not the only thing that's being said here. It's interesting to me, in the commentaries I'm reading, the studies that I'm looking at, how often people will talk about tacos, the the things which must shortly take place, and they will ignore the very last phrase in in verse 3. Look at what it says at the end of verse 3. For the time is near. So they'll make the argument that tacos is quickly, it's going to happen fast, when it starts to happen, it's going to happen, but then they completely ignore the last phrase, which literally means, let me give you the word for that, same lexicon, okay? Being close in proximity, near, close to. It's the opposite of it. It's not talking about the speed by which something happens, but it's talking about something being near. I think that this is important to us, and I think the Bible deals with it in a couple of different ways. Peter tells us in Second Peter 3, 3 and 4, and then 8 and 9, he says this, Knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days. In the last days, men are going to come and scoff that Jesus has not returned yet. He says, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So basically they're saying it's supposed to have happened. It says these things are about to happen. There's other places in the New Testament where it says, redeem the time because the days are short. We've had a lot of days since Paul and other New Testament writers wrote, redeem the time for the days are short. So he goes on to give us the answer to this. He says, beloved, do not forget this one thing. This is 1 Peter 3, 8, 9. Beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years And a thousand years is like a day. So with God, time is different than with us. In fact, I'm going to suggest that God lives outside of time. And that for God, it's been a short amount of time. It's been two days. It's been 2,000 years for us. And and why would God do that? The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, he goes on to say, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God, once again, shows his long suffering, wanting to see more and more people get saved. You and I are in time and we're moving through time. God is outside of time and looking at time. This is why God can say, I am his name is I am that I am. That's what the name Yahweh means, because God is is always the I am. He's living outside of time. I've heard the analogy before that if I say I am by the time I said I am then I was and I've used that analogy before but I don't know that that's that good of an analogy because if I really think about it if I say I am I still am right now I still am right now however there was a time when I wasn't and there will be a time when I'm not there will be a time if I if the Lord tarries and I die I'm not going to say I am and if I do, you're like, bring it back. You're, I don't know, do something. Do life support. He's talking. So God is the only one throughout all of history who could say that I am. And that's hard to understand because it's a time deal. And anytime you're dealing with a time deal, that's a little funky. But I heard an analogy from Pastor Chuck Smith years ago that really helped me to understand it. He talked about the, the Pasadena parade, which I've never been to, didn't even know they had a parade in Pasadena, Okay. So I'm going to use the Macy's parade because that's what we watched every year at Thanksgiving, right? So the Macy's parade, if you go to it, you're standing on a street corner and you've got a list that's got the different floats that are going to come by. And someone walks up and doesn't have a list and says, has the whatever parade, What has the other whatever float come by? And you look on the list and you go, no, it still hasn't. This is this float, that float's coming here. Has this other float come by? Yeah, that float's ahead of us. It's already gone by. So you then watch whatever float you're looking for, go by, And now it's gone by but if you have the the um, dirigible the the dirigible well whatever the word is you've got the the what other word am I thinking of the balloon okay (laughs) that's so good we have the balloon that is up on top and they're looking back down on the parade and they can say from there we see that float here and we see this float here and we see this float here. So they're able to see all of the floats at one time from above because they're not down in the line having things pass by. And so God is able to see things and to him, his days are different than our days. Now, why did God say, why do I think God said, the time is short or the time is near? I think because Jesus wants us to live like he could return at any moment. He he wanted all Christians to do that throughout all the time. He wanted us to look at the clouds and think of the return of Jesus. That's why the Bible talks about Jesus coming back in the clouds. And there should not be a time that you don't look at a really great sunset with clouds or a great formation or rays coming through the clouds that you don't think about Jesus' return because one day he will come back on those clouds and it should be a reminder. And he wants us living like Jesus could come back at any moment. And so that's why I believe that he says the time is near. Now let's talk for a moment about the way that people interpret this book. So the book of Revelation is interpreted three ways. First of all, allegorically. This is the millennialists. This would be the Catholic church, the Anglican church, uh, a lot of the Presbyterian, churches uh, are all millennial and they look at it allegorically like these are different of the the book of revelation is going to talk about different events that have taken place throughout history and when you read books on revelation written by them they'll take events in history and they'll try to fit them into events in the book of revelation and to me it's a little clunky it's not my view it's not the way that i look at things i read things as literal as i can and so To me, it's clunky, but there are people who believe it and they're genuine Christians. This is an in-house conversation. Doesn't mean they're not saved. They just got a radical different view than us and they read the book of Revelation radically different than we do. I think the book of Revelation fits into the world that we see, although we're never told to study the Bible that way. We don't ever try to study the Bible by what we see. So that's one way that people do it. The other way is called historical. This would be the preterist. And they believe that the book of Revelation was not written in 95. They believe it was written before 64. And it was talking about Rome destroying Jerusalem. One of the main reasons that I do not believe that Revelation is from the preterist point of view is because it's very global. Things that are talked about in the book of Revelation are global. It's not talking about this isolated event of Jerusalem. Their argument is, well, to someone in Jerusalem, it seemed global. All right. Well, that's an argument. I mean, you're gonna have to have something if you believe it to say, but I don't know that I can believe that. The third way is the way that we do it. And I say we, because I think most of us are this way. And that is prophetically, that is in the future. We believe that God has given us the things that are gonna happen at the very end of the age, very rapidly in the last seven year period. And he uses this stage of this seven year period to reveal Jesus. Jesus is being revealed in the things that happen. We learn that he is the judge. We learn so much more about him. It it goes on to say still in verse 1, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So Jesus uses an angel to bring to John. Throughout the book of Revelation, we're going to see angels. We're going to see angels that bring him and, and show him things. So God uses angels and the Bible teaches us in the book of Hebrews that angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to those that have life. So angels are ministering in our life as well. They were just not revealing to John. I don't know how much God does in our life himself supernaturally and how much God uses angels. Jesus was strengthened by angels twice, once in the Garden of Gethsemane and once when he was tempted by by Satan in the wilderness. Angels came and strengthened him. I wonder if we've ever been strengthened by angels. I wonder if we're shown anything by angels. His servant John here, there are most worldly scholars, non-Christian scholars are going to say that they don't believe this is John the Apostle. Most biblical scholars are going to say he's John the Apostle. We're not even sure that there were two Johns. There's John the Apostle and then there's John the Elder. And there's references to both of them. Some believe that there's two of them. We're not even sure that there were two. And Polycarp, who was a disciple or student of John, mentioned John writing the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation, John the Apostle. So we would believe and be fairly confident that this John is the John that was with Jesus. And I'm going to show you why I think that. I don't just think that. I'm trying not to take a stand where I don't have to take a stand. You know, you don't have to have an opinion about everything, right? And sometimes you can go, I don't know, maybe it was John the Elder. Maybe it was John the, you know, the Apostle. I don't know. But look at the very next statement. And he sent and signified by his angel. Signified, by the way, means to show through signs. Right, signify. So this book is going to reveal things to us through signs. By his angel to his servant John, who, so this is John, witnessed the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ in all the things that he saw. So this John witnessed the word of God. What does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So I think it's a connection to John the Apostle. And the testimony, a first-person testimony, and the testimony of Jesus Christ of the things that he saw. I don't think it was only the things that he saw here that he wrote in the book of Revelation, but the things that he saw. He He was an eyewitness of Jesus. From the very beginning, he was one of the first apostles that was called maybe the first apostle out of the first two. Remember in the book of John, in the very beginning, John is one of them that is called to follow. And I think Andrew is the other one who follows him. This is even stronger connection to John the apostle. And I I think that it is him. So in verse three, then we get the blessing for reading this book. It says, verse three, blessed is he who reads and those who hear these words of this prophecy and keeps these things which are written in it, for the time is near. Again, that we keep looking up, that we expect Jesus to return at any moment. Now, blessed is he who reads. That's the first thing. If you just read the book of Revelation, I, I have friends who read the book of Revelation every month. Every month they read through it because it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. You're going to learn more about Jesus as you read through it, and it's got a blessing. And hey, I would like to be blessed. But did you know that there's not just this blessing in the book? But there are, and this, this number is going to shock you. There are seven blessings in the book of Revelation. There are seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. I just want to read you a couple of them um, as considering this blessing. Blessed is the one who reads. Let's, let's finish this before I read them. Blessed is the one who reads, then the one who hears. Now this here is not like, it's not like, you're hearing me now. I'm reading Revelation, so I'm being blessed because I'm reading it. You're hearing me now, so you're being blessed because you hear it. The idea of hearing it is that you're hearing and you're understanding it. Now, you can download the book of Revelation and you can play it in your car while you're driving. You could go, I'm going to listen to it once a month. Every, the first of the month, I'm just going to start the book of Revelation and I'm going to listen. That's what I'm going to listen to until I'm done listening to it. It probably would only be a few days, by the way, that you would be done in your drive with the book of revelation and that would i think qualify the reading still you're taking it in are you hearing it like my mom used to say to me robert you're listening to me but do you hear me <laughs> my mom met something entirely different when she said do you hear me i'm expecting you to do what i'm saying not just can you repeat back to me what i'm saying i'm expecting you to hear me and that's the idea here and then those who keep the things. So you read it, you hear it, you understand it, you're ready to do it, and then you actually do it, then you are blessed. Do you know that the Bible talks a lot about us as Christians being blessed? The Bible says that Jesus became a curse to remove the curse of the law from us. That's Galatians 3.13. You are not under a curse. Someone's teaching you generational curses or that you have some you know, family curse that's on you. If you are a born-again Christian, you have no curse. You don't need anybody to take you in a room and pray over you for an hour and a half to get rid of the generational curse. I mean, don't, don't let any of that weirdness happen. Listen to what Jesus said, and I love this section. I, I quote this often. Luke eleven twenty seven and 28 about being blessed. It says, And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you, And he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus made this a general promise for the entire word of God. You are living a blessed life when you read God's word and you do it. And you are blessed when you read and do the book of Revelation. Let me give you, I'm not going to read all seven of the Beatitudes in the book of Revelation, but I just want to read you a couple more so you'll get them. You get the idea. Revelation 19, 9 gives us another one of them. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And then Revelation twenty two fourteen. 14. This is the last of the Beatitudes that you find in the book of Revelation. The last of the seven. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life. We talked about Adam and Eve being blocked off from the tree of life. Now we have the right to eat of the tree of life. If we've kept the commandments the things that we find in the book and may enter through the gates of the holy city so we're blessed because we're entering into the gates of the holy city we discover that even through difficulties and troubles we can be blessed now let's just stand back for a moment and look at the book of revelation it is basically in chronological order from the beginning of it through the church age into the rapture of the church in chapter four. We'll talk about that when we get there. And through the seven year trial and tribulation period, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, the seven seals and the seven trumpets are in the first half of the tribulation period. So a quarter of the seven years is the seven seals, a quarter is the seven trumpets, and half is the bowls, which is the great wrath. So it increases just like birth pains do throughout the tribulation period. Then Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation period on earth, a very visible event. As lightning flashes from the east and the west, so it's coming of the Son of Man. Then we have the millennium period. Then after the millennium period, we have the resurrection to the second death. Instead of being called the second resurrection, it's the second death where all the people who have died outside of Christ are judged. And then there's a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new heavens, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and then a promise to serve and follow him. So it is chronological from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. Now, it doesn't mean that everything in the book is going to be exactly chronological. We're going to come in and find some things that are put in certain places to make an emphasis. But overall, basically, it's chronological. And I'll just give you a couple quick tips in closing, well, sort of closing, about studying the book of Revelation. Number one, God means what he says and says what he means. And so unless it can't be taken literally, we shouldn't try to make it metaphor, a metaphor or analogy. Someone said, if the first sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense. That ought to be applied to the book of Revelation. It will keep us from making a lot of mistakes as we make our way through this book. Now, three things in closing. Number one, don't let prophecy depress you. It is funny to me, uh, I don't know, I was trying to think of how many times we've gone through the book of Revelation as a church four or five times. I'm thinking more like five. I think we've done it more than we've done the rest of the Bible. I'm thinking like five times. This will be the fifth time is what I'm thinking. Uh, And everybody's real excited in the beginning. And then when you get in the middle of the tribulation period, it's like, this is depressing. We're going to go to church this Wednesday night and hear about the horrible things that are going to happen with the next trumpet, you know? So don't let... The prophecy depress you. Remember, it's there for edification, exhortation, and comfort. For you to be edified, for you to be encouraged, and for you to have comfort. Number two, walk in faith, read, hear, and do the things in the book. That's what faith is. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you read what God's promises and you do it, you are now living by faith. You don't, and faith is not great confidence. That's not what faith is. People describe faith as having great confidence. I have great faith. I have great confidence. That's not faith. Faith is when you do what God has said. And it's impossible to please God without faith because you're not doing what he says. And so even if you're hesitant, even if you barely do it, even if you almost didn't do it, but you ended up doing it, you have faith the size of a mustard seed. And now you've done it and you receive the promises that are in the word of God. And number three, keep your eyes on the skies and occupy until he comes. And I'm going to say this over and over again. Stay away from the sensationalism that's out there. Jesus is coming back by this day at this time. Just stay away from that and occupy until he comes. What does that mean to occupy? Preach the gospel. Tell people about Christ. Water seeds, plant seeds. Watch God give an increase. Take care of your family. Do your responsibilities. The Bible says if a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an infidel. I can tell you that people have believed what people have said about the return of Christ quit their jobs and didn't take care of their family because they believed Jesus was coming back. And I imagine it will happen again as we get closer and closer to 2032, exactly 2000 years after the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to see more and more people putting dates upon that. Now, maybe he'll come back before then because we're supposed to be ready all the time. He's going to come back at a day we don't expect him. All right. So this um, weekend, we're going to be talking about the biblical defense for the pre-tribulation rapture. I'm going to give several reasons why we believe that the rapture will take place before the tribulation period. It's very distinct. And the reason I'm doing it now is because we just finished Luke 21 on Sundays and we're getting doing starting revelation here. And I want us to have an understanding of what the Bible has to say about these things. All right. So stand with me, with you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you that we have the revelation of Jesus. Christ. That that's what this book, this book really is. That, yeah, we're going to learn about the Antichrist, but that's not why we're reading it. This is not the revelation of the Antichrist. The revelation of who the Antichrist is. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be able to have clarity as we make our way through this book. And even when we come to difficulties in the book, like the time is near or the, the things that must shortly take place, that we look at it and see what is this really saying to us and what does it really mean. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.